Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Welcome to the SLP Now podcast. We are continuing our series on language assessment. This week, we are diving into formal assessment, and Callie Knight is joining us again to kind of share her experience and her tips for navigating those formal assessments when we get our language referrals. So the big question what are some of your favorite or go-to formal assessments for language? And if you can give us an explanation of why you like them and maybe like a quick overview of what they entail and what they look like, that would be super, super helpful. I can do that. And I guess I have to like preface because hopefully my tone doesn't already show this. I am not a fan of formal evaluation tools for many reasons. Part of it might be because I've always worked in very diverse schools, both linguistically, socioeconomic. So like we all know that formal evaluation tools are standard, you know, standardized evaluation tools often don't represent those students or those demographics. So I think in my heart, I just have a really hard time using these tools anyway. But I'm going to try to give you some objective information without letting my tone (laughs) sink through about some of my feelings. I'll go through some of the evaluation tools that I've used, and I'm going to be honest, it's not because they're my favorite or I think that they're the best. It's just what I've had on hand. But when we talk about informal evaluation, I'll tell you how I maximize my use of these tools. But some of the ones that I've used, people have probably heard of the self. I'm probably going to butcher what they actually mean. What is it? The clinical evaluation of language fundamentals. You might have to help me with some of the... (laughs) what they actually are, but that's comprehensive, receptive, expressive language. I know there's other parts to the self too. I don't always give the whole entire thing, mostly because I just think I get more information elsewhere. The CASEL, I don't even know if I really know what the CASEL stands for. I know it's an assessment of spoken language. I can't, I don't know if C is comprehensive, maybe comprehensive assessment of spoken language. I actually think the CASEL is fairly good has a lot of different areas that it breaks down and evaluates, which I think is good. And then, of course, can give you output measures for expressive, receptive, pragmatics. I like the TNL, so the test of narrative language, but anyone who knows me knows that I love narrative language assessment intervention. So, of course, I'm going to choose something like that. So that's obviously like a storytelling-based test. I've used the PLS, and I know people have a love-hate relationship with the preschool language scales and the scary bear, but I mean, it is what it is. (laughs) I've also used the TILS, which I like. The TILS is the test, I think, integrated language and literacy skills. I want to say it's more of a literacy-based test. So you do get like expressive receptive scores, but you also might get scores that are helpful in like reading or especially if I have a student who's also being referred for dyslexia. So we might have some of those concerns. That's not my responsibility in my school. That's our dyslexia diagnostician's kind of wheelhouse, but I might do the TILS because I could provide helpful information for them. I've also done the like PPVT, so the Peabody Picture Vocabulary Test, the Expressive Receptive One Words. I actually really don't like those because I don't think you get that much out of a one word. 
vocabulary test, but that was not objective. That was subjective. So do what you will. If I'm working with little kids, I do like to use some of the checklists like the MacArthur Bates or the CCC. I think it's the Childhood Communication Checklist, I want to say. Those you can give to a parent or someone who knows the child well. And those are more vocabulary based. But I think when you're that little, looking at vocabulary and combination of words is more helpful. Whereas if you're working with older students, I don't find that to be quite as helpful. I think the last one that I usually have and use is the communication matrix, and that might be for my students who are not completely speaking yet or just have more delayed language skills. And that just gives you an idea of like, and it goes from like being intentional to like full on communication, and it may have nonverbal or gestural or even pre linguistic skills that that looks at, and that's done by parent, teacher, and or therapist report. And I think I just like barfed through everything that I probably have had at my disposal. (laughs) (laughs) But I am super impressed with you remembering all of the acronyms and all of that. I love the communication matrix too. That's been super helpful. It helps you like break down a student's communication and gives you some really practical information. And it's nice to be able to get feedback from teacher, parent, and all of that too kind of work towards building a plan for those kiddos. And it's a lot easier to kind of focus on their strengths because if we are to give, like giving the self or the tilt to a student who's not yet speaking, we don't get very much useful information from that. So exactly. Yeah. And that one is free to access, isn't it? Well, it's free for a certain amount of uses. And then they ask you to pay for it just because it is a free option. But I know that some people just use a different email address every time. (laughs) Oh, no. But it is free for a certain amount of uses. Yeah. So it could be a really cool thing to try. And it's even if you have to pay for it, it's much more affordable than a full purchasing a full on assessment. So I feel like it's an easy case to make for the district. It's like you said, it's actually really helpful and they also can help you auto-generate blurbs to put in your report and they have, it auto-generates really nice kind of visuals and graphs that I copy and paste and put in my reports. So obviously that's not something that you need to use with every child, but if that fits their needs in the assessment, I highly, highly recommend that one. I know this is a tricky question to answer because it's We're speaking very generally, and it's hard to get from the general to the specific, but I'm just curious if you can give us a little bit of insight into your process in terms of like how you decide which assessments you use, and do you ever use like a time measure? Like, okay, I have about this much time to evaluate a student. Do you make decisions based off of that? What does that process look like for you? I'm going to give a disclaimer here that you might want to either ask or give the opinion of a couple people on this because my answer, I think, is going to be very realist, but it may upset some people. Have I probably in my life made a decision that, like, I need to give a test? I only have this amount of time, so I'm going to choose one that I can do fairly quickly. Probably, yeah, because that's the reality of it. But it kind of goes back to, like, what I said I have a limited amount of time to use with every student anyway, and I don't put most of my eggs in the formal assessment tool basket. 
So a lot of times I will just choose something that I can do fairly quickly, get a general idea, get the score that they want, and then move on to informal. And I'll talk later, but that contextualizes everything I find in my formal to either confirm or refute it. So actually what you said based on time actually could be quite a powerful reason that I choose something. Yes. Do I always try to choose something that's psychometrically strong, meaning, you know, maybe they have decent classification accuracy. Most formal assessment tools don't, but people don't always know to look at the psychometric properties. Something that for me, like I said, I work in Title I and very diverse schools. I'm certainly trying to choose something that's going to maybe represent my students and consider, you know, different language and culture content type biases. Can't do a lot about that with a lot of our formal tests because they're kind of like mainstream middle class Caucasian type culture ties. But I mean, those are the things I consider in general. That's probably not the best answer, but we don't live in a real beautiful, everything's kind of gray and the tools we have are trying to be black and white. Yeah, no, and I love that just real perspective of like an SLP who's been in the trenches. What does that look like? And it's amazing to attend the presentations that give us the perfect ideal situation of all the things we should be doing. And I think SLPs who are in the trenches who are struggling to do that perfect like gold star evaluation. And I'm really excited about next week's episode, diving into informal assessment and how we can really leverage that. I feel like maybe that should have been like the whole <laughs> month, what we should have talked about. But I think this was a really important conversation to have. And if you heard Callie talking about psychometric properties and you're like, what? How do I look that up? What do I do? I talked about that in episode 135. So if you want a super quick recap of the psychometric properties and what to look at, check out that episode. And yeah, I think that's a wrap on our discussion for formal assessment. And then get excited, mark your calendars for next week where we'll dive into informal assessment. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.